1: This is the Read to Lead podcast, episode 467.
0: What our brain does, because it's a sense-making machine, is that it takes those facts and it says, then what's true? What does this mean? And it layers what we would call a narrative or a story on top of the facts.
1: Do you trust the voice in your head? Our brains are remarkable. They subconsciously translate the events around us into meaningful storylines that inform what we think and how we live. The problem is the stories our minds feed us as facts aren't always true. Worse, these stories turn into false beliefs about others, the world, and ourselves that keep us from our true potential. Hi, I'm Jeff Brown, and this is the Read to Lead podcast. It's the podcast that's dedicated to your personal and your professional growth. I'm here in part because I believe that if you desire to achieve true success in business and in life, then a consistent reading habit is a must. With this show, I hope to help you engage with books more readily, more easily. Consider it your audio cliffs notes, if you will. Each week we're joined by a new author to chat about their latest book and their unique insights on a number of different topics. And that person today is Megan Hyatt Miller. She's co-author of the book, along with Michael Hyatt, Mind Your Mindset, the science that shows success starts with your thinking. I'll be asking Megan to share about the journey that led her to learn everything she could about neuroscience, the two kinds of memory and how our brains shape our stories, how to challenge your brain's narrator in order to separate fact from fiction, and lots, lots more. You know, next to making reading a consistent habit, another skill you have to want to cultivate is the skill of note-taking, or as I like to call it, note-making. I think the difference between note-takers and note-makers are those who take the insights and ideas of others and distill them, crystallize them, and add their own unique thoughts and ideas to what they've learned. These are some of the things we talk about in my course called Note-Making Mastery, which you can find out more about at jeffbrown.me. And when it comes to collecting and capturing thoughts and ideas from other sources, in particular, the digital ones that we often interact with, there are a number of tools I recommend. I was in a conversation about some of those tools, and I mentioned the fact that of all the paid tools I use, I could potentially stop using most of them and probably be okay. But there was one tool, actually one and a half tools in particular, that was a must for me. And that's a tool called Readwise in combination with their Read It Later app called Reader. I've been using ReadWise for a number of years. I've been using Reader since about December. It's currently in beta right now and free to try, by the way. ReadWise started out as a way to capture highlights from the digital content you're consuming and have that content served back to you a little bit at a time, sort of like spaced repetition to help you internalize what it is you've learned along the way. Well, ReadWise and its uses have grown over time, and now it's an app that I use not just for those things, but also to export all the digital content I consume to my digital notes app, my central hub or second brain. And their read it later app called Reader is now where I read almost all of the digital content I consume. And those two things in combination, having one place to read everything and having the highlights sync with Readwise while Readwise exports it automatically to my notes app behind the scenes without me even having to think about it is is just a dream. I love the apps so much. And one of the reasons I'm telling you about them is because soon Reader is going to be coming out of beta. And when it does, it's no longer going to be free. And those two apps in combination will each be priced separate from one another and be offered together. But when they are, it will be more than what they cost now. That's right. You can actually sign up for ReadWise right now get reader for no extra cost and grandfather yourself in to the current price and and time is running out for you to be able to do that again once reader comes out of beta that option goes away they've got two ways you can subscribe you can go by the month it's just eight dollars and 99 cents for the full readwise experience and again that includes the read it later app too Or if you want to pay by the year, it comes out to $7.99 a month, but I think it's $95.88 annually or something like that. These two apps in combination have been huge for my ability to not just save things for reading later, but, but actually reading them later. And then when I do, having simple ways to make highlights and notes that I know are going to get saved and synced where I ultimately need them to go, and that being my central hub, my notes app, I've yet to find in all my years of doing this better tools than these. And I've been doing this a long, long time. So that's my pitch. I think you need to check them out. I've got a special link for you to do so. Readtoleadpodcast.com slash readwise and readtoleadpodcast.com slash reader. Readwise for capturing those highlights and syncing them to your notes app and reader for those things you capture that you want to read at a later time. Readtoleadpodcast.com slash readwise and readtoleadpodcast.com slash reader. I think they're tools that every serious reader and lifelong learner needs to have in their arsenal. One more time, those two URLs, readtoleadpodcast.com slash readwise and readtoleadpodcast.com slash reader. Megan Hyatt Miller is the president and chief executive officer of Full Focus, co-host of the popular business podcast Lead to Win. She's also Michael Hyatt's oldest daughter and co-author with him. Of Win at Work and Succeed at Life. As the architect of Full Focus's standout culture, she's committed to helping her team win at work and succeed at life while also delivering phenomenal results to their customers. She's here today to share with us more about the role that mindset plays in our ability to succeed. Her new book, co-written with her dad, Michael Hyatt, is called Mind Your Mindset, the science that shows success starts with your thinking. Well, Megan, welcome back to the Read to Lead podcast. It's great to have you here.
0: Jeff, thanks so much for having me on again. This is so fun.
1: It's been about two years, hard to believe, since you were here last to talk about when at work and succeed at life. And I knew then, in fact, I even wrote it in the blog post for that episode that I don't think this is the last time Megan's going to be here. You're proving me right. So I'm excited about that. Me too. I thought we'd start off by having you share a bit about the story Mm. that led you on a journey to learn everything you could about neuroscience and and trying to understand the brain better.
0: Yeah. Well, most people know me publicly from my professional work with our company, Mm. Full Focus. And in fact, the impetus for this book was not professional at all, actually. It was a parenting impetus and uh my husband Joel and I have five children who are ages 21 to 4 so please pray for us <laughs> we're we're deep in it and we will be for quite some time um when we uh, our younger three children are adopted and when we adopted our middle boys in 2011 From Uganda, they were three and 14 months old. We quickly realized that our old paradigm, we weren't even conscious that it was a paradigm, but but what we thought were our parenting skills were not going to be transferable in the context of an adoptive parenting relationship with our new children. And that because uh, all children who have been uh, made available for adoption have suffered an incredible amount of trauma, their brains are just wired differently and uh, they need different kinds of support and different kinds of love and care and parenting to be able to get to a place where they have healing and are are really thriving. And we were like fresh newbies at that. We had no idea. And so as we, tried and failed with our old model, we began to realize, okay, we're going to need something different. And and I started really reading a lot about neuroscience and trying to understand what was happening for them and how to best help them. And um, we found ourselves, Joel and I, in a conference setting uh, for actually for social workers. I think we were the only parents who were there. Um, And it was led by a woman from Texas named Karen Purvis, who had done a lot of brain research on what she called children from hard places. And as she began describing children and from these backgrounds and how their brains work differently, it was like we had such an aha that the story that we had in our head about why our children at that time had what we would have termed behavioral problems was completely Backwards, You know, in reality, the behavioral problems were a symptom of the trauma and what and how their brains worked. And what we needed to do was a whole different way of parenting uh, and thinking about them so that we could take different actions that would ultimately lead to different results. In that case, they're healing rather than just trying to superimpose kind of our old paradigm or old story of parenting that had worked with our older two children onto these new children that had joined our family. So as we began that journey, we um, discovered a therapy called neurofeedback. That helps to rewire the brain into healthier brainwave patterns that affect behavior, all kinds of stuff. But, you know, I, I jokingly say that we have homeschooled ourselves through a PhD in neuroscience. And, and yeah. that was really the impetus for this work, because as it turns out, what's true in kind of an extreme context, trauma and parenting and all of that is actually true for all of us and understanding how our brain works, unlocks success and different results that we may want in our life in a way that I don't think anything else does.
1: Well, I'm sure you'll be delighted to, to know that the rest of this conversation is going to be a test to see how much you learned about.
0: Oh, oh great. <laughs> Fantastic. <laughs> My exam. It's just what you
1: wanted. Yeah. Well, with that in mind, it jokes aside, talk about how our narratives are not just uh, yeah. the product of our of our neurons that, that the influence runs, uh, as you were alluding earlier, uh, you know, both directions.
0: Yeah. Well, first of all, I should probably just talk about what this whole idea of a narrative, you know, because I think most of us think about facts as being true, and, you know, we would say would be facts would be true. You know, if you mm-hmm. ask me what happened at the family reunion and I told you about it, I would think I was telling you the facts. In reality, more than likely, there are two things going on there. There are what we would consider scientifically facts, things that would be on a medical report or a police report that Jeff, if I pulled you off the street and you came to my family reunion, you could have observed and our facts would have matched each other. Mm -hmm. And then what our brain does, because it's a sense making machine, is that it takes those facts and it says, well, then what's true? What, What does this mean? And it layers what we would call a narrative or a story on top of the facts. And so a lot of what we talk about in Mind Your Mindset is learning how to differentiate between what actually happened and what Story you're telling about what happened and that those aren't the same things. Here's why that matters. The story that you're telling is kind of like predisposing your brain for the actions and solutions that become available to you. So um, based on the story you're telling, a certain type and, and a certain list of possible solutions to it, let's say you're solving a problem, are going to show up. So if you said, for example, let's say your your job is that you're a salesperson and you didn't hit your numbers last month, and you said to yourself well that must just be because the economy is just so wonky right now people don't really want to spend money well the solution to that problem now that your brain starts to solve for is very different than if you say well maybe maybe I was a little bit hesitant and the people I was talking to my prospects they could kind of feel that and so they weren't likely to convert well now you're going to work on your confidence maybe some conversion strategy or something like that both of those things are going to lead to different results and that's why it matters because we often think if I I want different results. I need to take different actions, which is true. But how do you know what actions to take? And how do you decide on those actions to begin with? Well, that's based on your narrative or the story that you're telling. So this relationship between narrative actions and results uh, is really important. What we want to show you how to do in Mind Your Mindset is go further upstream to start playing with your narrative so that ultimately you can get better results
1: i've heard him share this story before but i i love that it was in the book your dad tells a story related to this and uh, yes. speaking with his his executive coach at the time and he didn't his numbers and he had all the reasons all laid out. And I just love how she she guided him through that and and what he learned in the process.
0: Well, that story is really powerful because I think we've all been in a situation where there were like real external circumstances that were limiting in some way. It could be the economy. It could be your geographical location, the family you were born with, your financial resources. I mean, we can all think of things that are uh, maybe we would consider to be outside of our control that affect the results that we're able to generate um, in our life. And that could be in your health or your business, or your family or whatever. Mm-hmm. Um, but in reality, in, in the story, his his coach was coming in and he had missed his numbers for the month. And she said, you know, last time I saw you last month, you were so confident that you're going to hit these numbers. What happened? And he was, he was kind of irritated with her. And he was like, haven't you been watching the news? We're in the middle of the recession. This is in 2008. You know, we're in the middle of the recession. Like nobody's hitting their numbers. And, and she said, she kept kind of playing, you know, into it. And she said, well, you know, think about it like this. If you could go back a month from now and you could talk to yourself, would you do anything differently knowing what you know now? And he was like, uh, yep, yeah, I would. So he's blaming it on the outside circumstances. But, and then prior to that, she'd asked him, is there, what about your leadership led to these results? And that was part of why I was so irritated, you know? But, but as she continued to question, what he realized was while some things were out of his control, there were other things that were not that he could have done if he had taken more ownership and had a different story about what was in his control, but because his story was, this is totally outside of my control. There's nothing I could do. His brain wasn't even looking for what could he do. (laughs) And, and I think that's a big aha for a lot of us.
1: You know in the in the uh, chapter on on how our brains shape our stories, mm-hmm. uh, I was fascinated to learn about the, the two kinds of memory. There, there's the episodic or, or subjective memory, the semantic mm-hmm. uh, objective memory. And to me, the most interesting part of this was the fact that the more we replay, The episodic or subjective memories in our minds, the more objective they begin to feel. Yes. Tell me more about that.
0: To back up just a little bit, one of the things we have to know about the brain is that our brains love certainty. And the reason they love certainty is because the primary function of the brain, if you think about kind of like historically, is to keep us safe, right? So our brain is very concerned with safety and keeping us out of danger. And when I say danger, I don't mean like, existential danger. Like, you know, your life doesn't have meaning. I mean, like you don't get eaten by a tiger or something, you know, like really basic kind of danger. And so um, the brain thinks that uncertainty equals danger and certainty equals safety. And so the brain would actually rather be certain and have an answer, even if it's the wrong answer, than it would to have no answer. So it has a really hard time with Not knowing, liminal space, change, kind of being out of your comfort zone, those are all difficult. And so what happens is that it uses your past experiences to help predict what might happen in the future and then to troubleshoot to keep you out of danger. And so what what it's doing there when you're replaying those episodic memories is it's trying to Go back in time and say, what's kind of similar to what may be coming up that we can use as a reference point to help keep her or him safe as they go into the future? And as it's replaying those stories over and over again, which are really, again, subjective interpretations of the facts, it's digging deeper and deeper neural pathways in our brain, which become more and more certain. And our brain just gravitates to those things because it really likes the certainty that it gives us. So, in fact, sometimes when we're the most likely to be wrong, we're the most likely to feel certain because the, the threat of feeling uncertain is just higher in those moments.
1: In what ways, because I think a lot of us like to think that we aren't impacted all that much by what other people think. But in in what ways and to what extent are we shaped by what other people think?
0: Yeah, I think that's a great question because, you know, we don't just cook up these stories in our head about how the world works, how we are and what's possible for us, how other people are and what's possible for them or, you know, never going to be possible for them. You know those don't just come to us in the vacuum of our own brain. They are definitely influenced by culture itself, and certainly by influential people in our lives, whether we know those people or not. And that can be for good or for ill. And so, on. You know, in a in a great way, like our company, Full Focus, we are a company that does a lot of coaching. And part of how we help our clients is our coaches help our clients retell their stories in a more empowering way, so they can get better results in their business. But of course, the converse can be true. You know. If If you have, let's say, a family member or even a spouse, who has a really pessimistic outlook on life and you know a really fixed mindset where certain things are the way they are and they're never gonna change and there's not much we can do about it, that's gonna influence your brain because again, the more certainty that those opinions or those stories are communicated with, the more likely your brain is, is gonna say, oh, that sounds great. Let me just grab that because that fills a hole that I don't have something in right now. And so we kind of collect these things over time And then again, because the brain likes certainty, it's going to start looking for things that match that. You know, this is what we call confirmation bias. So if your mother-in-law told you all the years that you've been married to your husband that you just can't trust men or that you can't trust rich people or something, something like that, you know, men are always like or rich people are always like, you're going to look for evidence of that every time you read the news, every time you have a conversation at the post office, every time you run into Target and have a conversation, you're going to be subconsciously looking for that evidence which is then going to just confirm that all the more so it's it's something to really be aware of that other people are telling stories too and we need to become more intentional about do we really want to adopt those or not and most of us are just kind of walking through life unconscious of this phenomenon
1: yeah and you're kind of helping me nicely segue into the next section of the book where you interrogate or challenge yeah. the narrator we want to we want to test our stories and separate fact and fiction yes Share some of what you unpack here with regard to emotions, like like, like Mm -hmm. the physical sensations, one thing, what it means is is something else. Yeah.
0: Well, we talk about in Mind Your Mindset, three steps of how to better engage uh, the stories that we tell so that ultimately you can unlock better results in your life. And the first step is to just identify the stories that you're telling. And this is a big step for most of us, because again, this is just kind of operating in the background. And none of us learned this in school, that this is a thing. And so we want to begin to say, what are the sentences? in my head about how the world works, how other people are, and how I am. That's kind of how these show up, as they sound like sentences in your head, and they sound very certain. Once we've done that, we want to go on to step two, which, as you just said, Jeff, is to interrogate stories that we're telling. And part of how we can do this is to become aware of what's happening in our body, you know, because that oftentimes deceives us that something is true because it's triggering something in us from, you know, the past. Usually again, our our brains using the past to predict the future and it can cause these stories to feel very true. Like I'm in danger here or this person isn't safe or, and sometimes it can be right, but sometimes it can also be absolutely dead wrong. And so we need to begin realizing our feelings are an input, but they're not always very precise. And so we need to question, okay, what are some other inputs? For example, I could ask myself, you know, if if Jeff came to this family reunion, would he also think that my sister-in-law was mad at me because she didn't talk to me when she was putting the watermelon on her plate? Or might he have a different interpretation? And so that's one way that we can interrogate the story. Would somebody else see it the same way? Also, another thing that I love to do with clients when I'm coaching is to have them make a list of, okay, what are the facts? And like if you think about two columns on a piece of paper or whiteboard, you know, here are the facts and you have to be really tough with yourself on this. What would show up in a police report or a medical report? And then here's the story. Here's what I'm saying about that. And that's going to sound like a statement or, you know, just a sentence in your head again about yourself, others or the world. And and then we want to in this interrogate phase kind of lose. Loosen the connective tissue between these things because we're trying to prime ourselves for the next step, which is to tell a better story. And we have to start to believe that you know, the story that we we automatically defaulted to isn't the only one available for us. And more importantly, it might not be serving us. And so it's important to go through the interrogation step in order to ultimately get to this step where we begin to think, what might be a better story? How can I imagine something better? So it's identify, interrogate, and imagine are the three steps that we talk about in Mind Your Mindset.
1: You remind me of a story recently where my wife and I uh, ran into... A friend of hers and I remember leaving the, the situation saying to my wife, "Man, your friend is is mad at me about something." She's like, "Yeah." There, there's absolutely no truth to that whatsoever. I completely yeah. misread uh, the situation. that Had nothing to do with me. Of course, I made it all about me.
0: We do that all the time. You know, it happens a lot in workplaces. It happens a lot in families and other important relationships. I mean, th- that's part of why this is so powerful. Is that when we get the wrong story and then we start taking action based on it, we can go down a whole rabbit hole that is a disaster before we even know what happened. All because we were certain of something that we never interrogated, uh, and and then it took on a life of its own. Mm.
1: I started uh, teaching an online course or cohort last year called Note Making Mastery. And, mm. uh, one of the things we talk about in Note Making Mastery is the importance of of sharing your work. Yes, in small bites. In other words don't finish something completely and only then start seeking feedback. That's really good. Talk about showing your work in this context.
0: Yeah. I, first of all, I love that you use that phrase. Um, my husband always says to me, you forgot to show your work. You know, it's like, I'll <laughs> jump from from one thing to the conclusion. He's like, I have no idea how you got there. You got to show your work. You know, like back, remember when you were doing algebra and your teacher always said, you're like, you have to show your work. Yeah. And there are always those kids that never wanted to do it. Well, apparently I was one of those kids. Um, I, I think in this case, showing your work looks like bringing other people into the process. Now sometimes you can what we call self-coach yourself. You know, you can go through this three-step process of identifying the story you're telling, interrogating your story and then imagining something uh better by just getting it on paper and out of your head. So just like back when you were taking, you know, pre-algebra and you were supposed to show your work of every step to get to the solution, that can be really helpful here too because once we get it out of our head it objectifies it and it no longer, you know, it no longer has that power of truth, it becomes something we can't interrogate because it's outside of us. But sometimes we have these really thorny stories. And I tell a story at the beginning of the book about my own debilitating fear of public speaking, which, you know, I'm happy to to tell here if you want me to, Jeff. But when, when you have a deeply lodged story that is driving your behavior in a very detrimental way, sometimes you need other people, you know, and this can be as informal as your spouse, your best friend. It could be a mentor, a pastor, a therapist a good therapist is really a chief interrogator. That's really what a lot of therapy is. Uh, A great coach, same thing in a different way. Um, But I think that's a real resource to us when we find that we have a few of these stories that are really driving things for us in a way that it's difficult for us to interrogate because it feels so true. We're not quite sure how to pull apart that connective tissue between the facts and the story we're telling.
1: Yeah. I I so identified with your public speaking story. It it mirrors mine in Mm. a lot of ways. and I even connected, unfortunately, with the story your, your dad tells in the book of, of the CEO who gets up and starts by talking about how bad he is at this and then spends the next hour proving himself right. I've, right. I've, oh, I've, I've, I've been guilty of that as yeah. well. Talk a bit about your journey there. I know yeah. as recently as maybe three or four years ago, you, uh, because of your team in part, were put in a situation yeah. where you're going to speak to a room full of you know several hundred people. How did you process that?
0: Yeah. Well... You know, this is one of those things like for a lot of us, I had a very um disempowering story that I picked up without knowing it. When I was in high school, I had a friend giving a presentation and she had basically a, a panic attack midway through a presentation, ran out of the room, found her crying in the bathroom And my brain. So those were the facts. My brain said speaking is dangerous. You could be publicly humiliated. You could lose control of your body. You should never do that. You know, look what happened to her. And so I I adopted that and then started taking action based on that. And what that looked like is through high school and then into my 20s and then into my 30s, I just shut down more and more and more anytime I was asked to speak in front of people to the point that in a book club kind of setting, I couldn't even read like a passage of a book, you know, or like a Bible study or that kind of thing. And uh, I would pass because my voice would start shaking. I would start to hyperventilate. It was a whole thing. I mean, it was really... Pretty dramatic, and uh, so professionally, I just kept saying no to more and more opportunities. You know, we need you to present this thing to the board. Oh, let's let so and so do it. You know, and I never told anybody. I was just very crafty at avoiding those situations. So then, about five years ago, I guess my my team came to me and they said, you know, it's just the funniest thing. We realized you have never keynoted for us, and I'm thinking, oh gosh, yeah, that's not an accident. Um, And and they said we're going to do this big event, and there's going to be like eight people there. And we want you to, you know, get up and talk to our audience. I'd love to hear from you. And I'm thinking this is my literal worst nightmare. Mm -hmm. And I also thought, if I say no, though, this is probably the end of my career as I know it. Because at that point, I'm a COO. I'm headed to become the CEO of our company, which I am now. I mean, you can't not speak as a CEO. Like that's just, those are, that would be like, I'm, I'm not going to fight fires, but I'm a firefighter, you know, just like they don't go together. And so I reluctantly just kind of like nodded and smiled and, you know, nervous, laughed my way through a Yes. And then promptly melted down and ended up calling uh, or, te- or texting, rather, a friend, Michelle Keshat, who's an incredible speech coach and-, and friend of mine. And I said, Michelle, I cannot live in this small story anymore. I... I'm ready to face it, and I'm ready to do battle with it if it kills me. Because it kind of felt outdated, you know. It sort of felt like it was incongruent with who I was in the present, but I didn't know how to break through. And so I worked with Michelle. I worked with a life coach. I worked with an anxiety coach. I had medicine from a doctor. I mean, I was like, let's cover all the bases. <laughs> and and that was a six week process of really me learning how to retell the story that I had been telling for at that point twenty years about speaking. And by the time I got to SoundCheck, I had been rehearsing a new story for many weeks. I had a panic attack on the way home from SoundCheck. I just want to be real about that because I think um, sometimes it can just sound all magical. Like, you know, I changed my story and everything got easy. It wasn't easy, it was very hard. But the next day, I stepped on stage in front of 800 people. And it played out exactly like the story that I had written. I was confident. I connected with the audience. And by the way, my story wasn't now I'm a TEDx speaker and it's you know, what it wasn't like that. It was just like I connected with the audience and I have a voice worth hearing and this kind of stuff. And and that was a huge breakthrough for me of wow, this story was driving my life and it was really confining. We talk about this in mind your mindset. And I don't want to be confined anymore. And so if you're listening and you're thinking, you know, I have something in my life that I I know is holding me back I just don't know how to shake loose from its power it very well may lie in learning to go through this process of identifying the story you're telling interrogating it and then ultimately imagining a better story and everything can change when you when you do that
1: hmm. well as as one who was at that event you're talking about I had no idea what you went through to deliver yeah. that <laughs> and there was absolutely no evidence that you. That, that you were struggling with the way you talk yeah. about I carried shame with regard this oh, topic for yeah. so long, in part because I, I was in radio for 26 years. Right. And people did not understand the ease with which I approached that to get behind a microphone and have thousands of people hearing me and not have a problem with it. Yep. But then just be gripped with fear when they're all looking at me. You know, in in, in radio I could hide. Right. You know, I, 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 nobody could see me, and so for me that was the the difference. But once I broke through that, of course, it it changed everything. Yes,
0: I agree, and I think that's important. I think part of what keeps us from actually identifying these stories, interrogating them and so forth, is the shame. And I had so much shame. The only person that knew that I had this fear was my husband. My dad didn't know. Our team, of course, didn't know. My friends didn't know. The rest of my family didn't know, which only made it more powerful. You know, Mm. that's the thing is that that shame causes the amplification of our fears and the power of those things. And so I, I felt like I really got set free once I was willing to admit it and get it out there.
1: I enjoyed learning about this revelation you had reading a Harvard Business Review article. I think it was called What Sets Successful CEOs Apart.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: Talk about making mistakes and what it means to fail in the right direction mm. as often as possible.
0: Yeah. So this comes out of uh, this article ended up becoming a book and it's called The CEO Next Door. It's a fantastic book. Mm. If you're if you're a leader, you don't have to be a CEO for it to be valuable, but uh it's a it's a fantastic book. And you know, they talk about this idea that it is more effective particularly for CEOs because, you know, in in this role you're making just constant decisions. Basically the whole job is decision making mm. and that it's better to make more frequent decisions, even when some of those things are wrong, than it is to make perfect decisions more slowly, you know, because actually you're going to hold your business back. You can, you can correct the ones that are wrong if you just get going. But if you wait, sometimes you're, you know, the perfect decision made too late is the wrong decision. And I think that's really freeing. You know, I think a lot of us tend toward perfectionism. I know I do and can overanalyze things and we can get these stories in our head about what will happen if we make the wrong decision. But in reality, we need to get moving. And I think this is kind of true with the stories that we tell as well. You know, you're not going to have every story that you go through this process with be right, so to speak. You're going to have to have trial and error. You're going to get better at this over time. And I think for all of us, the more willing we are to try novel things, the more willing we are to make mistakes, the more we get out of the neural pathway ruts that keep us mm. stuck. Even if we make the wrong decision, even if it's the wrong story that leads us to the wrong actions and the wrong results, we're still training our brain to get out of those comfortable neural pathways that we know don't work. And, and so I think that's the value of it. Again, whether you're CEO or whether you're uh, you know an individual contributor stay-at-home mom, whatever, it doesn't matter. We just need to be taking new and novel actions to help our brain get out of its old patterns.
1: And over time, right, we increase our tolerance for the discomfort of uncertainty. We
0: really do. You know, and I think that's something just to know. I was talking to our coaches yesterday. We had a retreat with um, all of our coaches. We have about 25 that work for us. And I was just saying, you know, I think so much of success in life in any area is dependent on our tolerance for discomfort. And, you know, I talked to my Mm -hmm. kids about this. This, Fortunately, this is not like uh, fortunately slash unfortunately. It's not an innate talent that any of us are born with. No one's like, you know, man, I'm just so. resilient as a baby. You know, that just doesn't happen. We actually strength train our way into this. So when you have discomfort, if you can say to yourself, again, this is a story. Oh, this is actually really good. This discomfort is normal. I'm out of my comfort zone and it's good because it's going to make me stronger. Then you can embrace it and lean into it instead of run away from it. And that's how you get better at it over time.
1: Well, I've got a couple of questions not directly related to the book and the time we have left. First, I want to ask you, Megan, what haven't I asked that you'd like to make sure Mm. we know about with regard to the book? Anything?
0: Well, you know, one thing I will tell you is that we have some pretty great resources that are available for free for your listeners. When they buy the book, all they have to do is just take their receipt over to mindyourmindsetbook.com. And there is a self-coaching tool that will walk you through the process that I've described, those three i's. Uh, There is a audio book file. And then there's a course that my dad and I re- created just for the book with all kinds of um, exercises and implementations, kind of like a little mini workshop. And part of what we were thinking of was, how do we really make this not just theoretical for people, but get them into this work so they can actually experience the transformation? That's what we care about. And so we have really put all those in one place to make it easy for folks. And again, that's just at mindyourmindsetbook.com.
1: One of the things I love about the book that's just real handy. You've got the notes, of course, at the end, mm-hmm. but you've you've pulled from that further reading. So we have a section that is just books. Yeah. <laughs> That we might want to consider, many of which are included in the notes, yes. but but they're 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 separated there and categorized as to whether it's, you know, the imagine phase, interrogate or identify. I know you, you read a lot, but in the two years since we've spoken, mm. what has what has really struck you in the book world in the last couple of years of all the books you've read?
0: Yeah. I might've said this the last time we were together because this, I, I, I'm rereading this again. So it's not a new book, but from a leadership perspective, the book that right now I'm in the middle of for at least the second time, maybe the third time is The Culture Code. There's actually a lot in that book that relates to mindset and it relates to thinking. Um, There's a lot in there about belonging. There's a lot, and I mean, it's kind of counterintuitive a little bit. The The components of that book that they talk about with regard to how do you build culture inside an organization? And I think that that um, the other thing that's amazing about it is the authors really make a case for how culture drives financial results. And I think a lot of us, you know, sort of like culture is a necessary evil, that thing we have to deal with, you know, the people part. And in reality, it's the squishy part that has a very concrete outcome. And I really appreciate the linkage there. And so post COVID, post everything we've been through in the last 3 years i just i felt like i needed a refresh there and it's a powerful book so if you're in any kind of leadership for profit nonprofit it's absolutely in my top 3 business books of all time for that reason
1: well i mentioned uh, the note making mastery cohort that i lead yeah. uh, related to that i want to ask you a personal knowledge management okay. question which is what note making mastery is all about i'd be curious to know what some of your processes are when you do things like consume content like books and other content. Yeah. Uh, how do you go about uh, collecting it, organizing it, maybe distilling it into your own thoughts and ideas? And then ultimately do things like write a book, create with those things yeah. that you're learning. What's that process like?
0: Well, I, so, you know, I'm a CEO, I'm a mom, I've got a very full life, like I'm sure all of your listeners do. And so, what I'm not doing is spending a lot of time sitting in my chair in my living room reading in that <laughs> way. I, I'm excited right. for the phase of life. Where that becomes more possible. Um, But I have a four year old, so that's probably decades (laughs) away. Um, In the meantime, I listen to a lot of audiobooks, and I find that my best synthesis happens when I'm walking. And listening. And there's actually good research about this. So one of, one of my favorite books that, uh, we used as research for mind your mindset is a book called spark and the author is Rete. And I can't remember his first name, but it's all about the neuroscience of exercise and basically how exercise affects our brain, affects our creativity and our ability to innovate. And so when you exercise, you're really. Getting more blood flow to your brain, you're engaging something that's called the default mode network of your brain, which is slower than your executive function, which, you know, we think about as kind of the thinking part of the brain. That's where your great ideas really come from often. You know, like when you're in the shower, you're out walking that and you have like an aha, that's, that's what's happening. And so I find that when I listen to something and I walk, the connections that my brain can make are really exciting. And so very often I will have my notes app open on my phone while I'm walking. I'm not a super fast walker. You know, you don't do this if you're running, you might fall, you know. So like <laughs> caution on that one. But I will make connections. I'll write down, you know, or or I'll dictate quotes from the book or insights that I have. And almost every time. I end up on the phone with somebody or sending a voice memo to somebody, uh, whether that's my assistant, my dad, who, you know, is my business partner, one of my executives on my team, something that I'm just having an aha about something I want to implement or an insight that I've had. And I find that it's a little messy, but it's very productive. And so that is for me, my favorite way to consume content, but then to synthesize it and really think about taking action on it.
1: Well, Mind Your Mindset, the book we've been talking about today, came out in late January, if I'm not mistaken. It's yeah. out now. So pick it up. Uh, as Megan said, mindyourmindsetbook.com. Did I get that right? That's right. Mind Your Mindset, the science that shows success starts with your thinking. Visit number two for Megan. Hopefully not her last. Megan, thank you again for for being here.
0: Thanks so much for having me, Jeff. This has been
1: so fun. For more on this episode, to connect with Megan on social media and to check out those books that we talked about and other links and resources, it's all at readtoleadpodcast.com slash 467 for episode 467. That's also where you can go to find links to ReadWise and Reader, those apps that I talked about earlier. Or you can go to readtoleadpodcast.com slash readwise and readtoleadpodcast.com slash reader some authors we'll be hearing from in the coming weeks include carl marcy author of rewired protecting your brain in the digital age christina curtis choosing greatness an evidence-based approach to achieving exceptional outcomes matt abrams think faster talk smarter how to speak successfully when you're put on the spot valerie Fridlin, like literally dude arguing for the good in bad english dr heather penny the Life You're Made For, Finding Clarity, Confidence, and Courage to be Fully Alive, and Lisa Bragg, Bragging Rights, How to Talk About Your Work Using Purposeful Self-Promotion, Oh, and Miriam Schulman, Artpreneur, The Step-by-Step Guide to Making a Sustainable Living from Your Creativity. Those authors and more coming your way this spring. By the way, happy first full day of spring if you're listening to this on the day it's being released, March 21st, 2023. That's going to do it for this week. I look forward to seeing you next time. Until then, as always, remember, leaders read and readers lead.